Well, good morning, church. It is good to worship together, whether you're on site or online. And as Catherine shared at the start of the service, today we are culminating our fall worship series that has been entitled Fixer Upper, Welcome Home. We have been celebrating homecomings as more and more people are returning back to Northside where there is a place for everyone. But we realize it's also a renovation project and there's a lot of fixing up left to do. Over the past four weeks, we've been exploring the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which tell the story of the return of the Jews from Babylonian exile back to Jerusalem. And the Jews returned in wave upon wave that eventually took 110 years. During the series, we have focused on three main characters, Zerubbabel, who rebuilt the altar and the temples so that the priests were able to resume the sacrificial system. Then there was Ezra, who came and proclaimed God's word and led a national revival. Nehemiah saw the ruins of Jerusalem and rebuilt the gates and the walls. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Three different men, three different times, three different missions, but what we saw last week was they shared one attribute in common, they dared to dream. But the renovation project took decades, and along the way, they made more than their fair share of errors and of mishaps. So today's sermon is entitled, Construction Mistakes. Our scripture lesson is the conclusion of the Ezra and Nehemiah two-volume set. It's Nehemiah 13, verses 29 through 31. I will warn you before the reading, it is a rather odd conclusion to 23 chapters. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, let now the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The HGTV and the DIY networks showcase both professional and amateur construction projects. And if you have ever watched any of the shows, they they follow a predictable plot. A couple and a contractor begin with just real excitement and high hopes, and then they encounter crises and challenges along the way. But by the end of 60 minutes, the project exceeds everyone's expectations, and they live happily ever after until the next episode. That's not how real life necessarily goes. DIY projects oftentimes become DIYD, do-it-yourself destruction. In fact, there's a relatively new series, and the title of it is Help, I Wrecked My House. And what you discover is any construction project includes a lot more error and mishap than a one-hour semi-reality show can convey. Mistakes occur all the time. Take, for example, my cousin Danny. My guess is probably every family here has a cousin Danny. 
and he decided that he was going to renovate his master bathroom. I'm sorry, he was going to refurbish the main ensuite. And so he replaced uh, the commode, the shower, the bath, the sink, ripped out the tile, put new tile in, painted the walls and the ceiling, and rehung the original door. It was at this point he discovered that the new sink was larger than the old one, and the door would not swing open or shut because it was hitting the sink. At this point in the narrative, it's important for me to share with you that Danny is not a graduate of Georgia Tech. He solved the problem with a circular saw, cutting a notch in the door so that it would swing open and shut. And to his credit, it worked at some sacrifice of privacy, however. And it's not just amateurs. Professionals make mistakes as well. We built a family life center when I was in Cartersville, Georgia. Just a wonderful project. Everything went so well. And the parking lot featured, and you're going to think I'm mispronouncing this, a port cochere. One of those porticos where you drive underneath, you drop off your passengers, and then you go and park. And after the grand opening, we had, as one of our first events, an older adult luncheon, and we invited one of the elementary school choruses to come and sing for them. And so they came on a bus. The bus driver started to pull into the port cochere, and that's when we learned that the architect and the contractor made about a six-inch mistake in height. And the bus top plowed into the portico's ceiling. And it was stuck like a cork in a bottle. And nobody could figure out how to get it out. Finally, there was an old mechanic from the school system, came out, took a look at it, pulled a small screwdriver out of his pocket, deflated all the tires 50%, and backed it out. Mistakes happen in construction projects. They started with the Tower of Babel, and they continue on through today. And as you read the story of Ezra and of Nehemiah, you learn that all of them made their fair share of mistakes as well. I began planning this series last spring because I love the imagery of the Jews returning from Babylonian exile back home and how that parallels the modern church's experience of having endured the pandemic and slowly emerging into a new normal, and how God was faithful throughout both the crisis as well as the return. But as I delved deeper into the two Old Testament books, I discovered a rather disturbing pattern. In every arc of the story, whether it's Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, or others, there is always an anticlimactic conclusion. And there's a pattern that emerges of there's despair that leads to renewed hope and then disappointment. In despair, the people of Israel have no place to worship. And so Zerubbabel rebuilds the altar in the temple, and there's great hope as God's house is reestablished. Years later, the altar and the temple are neglected and ignored. Ezra returns to discover the people know nothing about God's law. There's great despair in the land, so he proclaims God's word. Revival occurs. There's new hope as the people are restored. A few years later, they've returned to all the old sin that they were doing. 
Nehemiah comes and sees the ruins of Jerusalem and weeps, but in 52 days they rebuild the gates and the walls. There's great celebration. A few years later, the merchants are camping beside the walls on the Sabbath when they're commanded not to work, buying and selling, doing the same thing that got Israel into trouble decades before Jerusalem was destroyed. And within each of those stories, there are sub-themes of prejudice and of rejection. When Zerubbabel's rebuilding the temple, there are some Jews who never went to Babylonia. They have been there, and they want to help. They're excited about this renewal of their faith. And Zerubbabel says, this has nothing to do with you. This is not for you. Ezra is dismayed to discover that many of the Jewish males have married women who are not Jewish in the region. And he receives no command from God, but he tells them they ought to get divorced and send all their children away. Nehemiah, as he's rebuilding the gates and the walls, there are some who oppose it, and he builds even higher walls to keep the people out. When the prophets had foretold there would be a day when all the world gathered in Jerusalem to worship the one true God. Despair, hope, disappointment… And if you think about it, maybe that narrative occurs in our lives on a repeating basis as well, and within families, and within churches, and within nations, and in the world. So how do you deal with this pattern you discover in Ezra and in Nehemiah? Well, as I I continue to read and continue to study, it becomes pretty clear what the mistake was that the Jewish leaders made. Because it's the same mistake we continue to make today over and over again. They focused on the external rather than the internal. They focused on form rather than transformation. They were more interested in bricks and sticks than they were hearts and souls. And that if God is going to do something new in God's people, it's not through just keeping the outward rules and regulations. It's through an inward revival and transformation of our hearts and minds and souls. We all learned that rhyme when we were children, that here's the church and here's the steeple, and you open the door, and I told the 830 crowd that used to be easier to do. Uh, Open the door, and there's the people. But it's not just the people here. It's the people out there that are important. And we realize that the buildings that we have are tools for ministry. They are important. They are vital. They assist us in the mission, but they are not the end of themselves. They enable us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. I have a fellow colleague in the ministry who served one of our larger churches in North Georgia, and he tells a story about leading a capital campaign to raise millions of dollars and then spending years building a a massive sanctuary and adjoining structures, and it consumed his life. In addition, just the normal work of ministry of, of having meetings to fundraise and oversee the construction, and they finally finished. They had the grand opening. It was a wondrous day, standing room only. And the next week, he and his wife went to a retreat center to just spend some time alone and unwind. And he said he went to bed and slept for 48 hours. And when he woke up, it was with the question, so what? In despondency and despair on the far side of what he had accomplished, he asked the question, so what? And he said for him, 
It was a return to the origins of his call to ministry to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world because that's ultimately the standard by which we measure ministry and what we are about. Now here clearly I'm not condemning Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah for the mistakes they made. You know the reason there are mistakes in human construction projects? Because they're human construction projects. And we're sinful people living in a fallen world, and we will make errors. In fact, one of the ways we learn is through trial and error. When our children were young, I used to love to watch the PBS series that was entitled The Magic School Bus. And it starred Ms. Frizzle, who was a very unconventional teacher. And she loved to tell the kids, take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Because it turns out there are two types of mistakes. There are bad mistakes, and there are good mistakes. But we're all going to make mistakes. Because if you try, at some point, you're going to fail and you're going to fall. Wayne Gretzky, uh, the great uh, professional hockey player, once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. He's a hockey player. The math may not exactly add up, but you get the point. If you're going to try to accomplish anything, you're going to make mistakes. Bad mistakes are things you don't learn from. And let's face it, there are, we all make bad mistakes on occasion. If we learn from all of our mistakes, every person here will be immense a genius. Good mistakes are mistakes you learn something from, and you are a different person moving forward than you were before. So what are some of the lessons that Ezra and Nehemiah teach us? The first, and perhaps this is the most important, is mistakes are inevitable. And let's spiritualize that. Even Christians who are pursuing walking in the footsteps of Jesus are going to trip, fail, fall, and sin. The secret to growing in Christ is what we do after we fall. We can wallow in our guilt and in our shame or we can claim there is one who loves us and forgives us and will pick us up and dust us off and set us back on our feet so that we can continue the journey. We cannot sin greater than God can forgive. And so when we do fail, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and we come in His name asking for forgiveness. We are forgiven and then we're ready to take the next step in the journey. Another lesson we learn is that bricks and sticks are never as important as hearts and souls. Or to put that in a different way, the most important things in life are not things at all. They're people. They're relationships. They're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And extending that to a community of faith scale, it means that the mission of the church is not to keep people out, but to invite people in. That any time the church becomes inwardly focused, we have lost a vision of who we are supposed to be. When we are outwardly focused, we are being the church of Jesus Christ called into the world. 
Some other lessons of perspective is that no defeat is ever complete and no victory is ever final. You can pick a point in the arc of the Ezra-Nehemiah story, and in whatever arc you pick, point you pick, there may be great despair, there may be great hope, there may be great disappointment, but no defeat is ever complete. Whatever we're facing, no matter how defeated we feel, God's got something left to do. But no victory is ever final because God's always got something else to do in our lives and in the world about us. Another note of perspective is that we are a small scene in a much greater story. I sometimes get so caught up in my life that I forget the big picture. Maybe you do too as well. But remember, we serve the God who is the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. The one who from Genesis to Revelation is in control, who is the first and last, Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. Everything in our lives takes place within the larger context of of God's grace and mercy and love. We are but a small scene in a greater story. And we have the opportunity to choose. We learn to choose either hope or despair. Every person here has enough things going on in their lives and in the world about them that they could give in to despair. Every person here has the hope of glory in Jesus Christ our Lord, and we can choose hope. But it's a choice we make on what we focus on, of the despair of the moment or the hope of eternity that is ours in Christ. And by the same token, we can choose sorrow or we can choose joy. Because every one of us here could come up with a list of things that we are hurting about, that we are sorrowful over, that we feel like we're being overwhelmed. But we could also list a thing, list, uh, make a list of things that we are thankful for, we're joyful about, and we choose sorrow or joy. Many of us have experienced watching an entire TV series and then being disappointed by the final episode. Or maybe you've read a really good book and then you get to the last chapter and you just cannot believe how it ended. Or maybe you're a Falcons fan and watch the Super Bowl 51 and they were winning till that last minute. No, it's still too soon for a sermon illustration. That's what happens with Ezra and Nehemiah. You get to the end of the book, you heard the conclusion I wrote, I read, and Basically, Nehemiah says to God, remember me, Lord, at least I tried. And the book ends. It's like reading a fairy tale that ends, they lived happily ever after, and then you read the next chapter. But maybe that's the final lesson that Ezra and Nehemiah teach us. We're called to try. As I said in one sermon, we're called to show up, to simply do our best in this time, and this place, to be faithful to the task which God has given us. And sometimes we find ourselves in despair, and sometimes in hope, and sometimes in disappointment. But God's not finished writing the story. So take a shot. Take chances. Make mistakes. Get messy. Build something. Just show up, try, and even if we make a mistake, God's always ready to forgive and set us on our feet 
and take the next step. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you're with us throughout the journey in the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the mountain and the valley. Wherever we find ourselves today, meet us where we are. Help us to see our lives within a broader context, to choose hope, to choose joy, and to choose to take the next step following in the footsteps of Jesus. It's in Christ's name we make our prayer. Amen.